this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Please note there are some very emotional scenes within this podcast that may not be suitable for everyone. I think maybe I, I made them mine before they were born and maybe that was something I did wrong. Um, maybe I pushed him away. Hello and welcome to How Did We Get Here, the podcast where me, Claudia Winkleman, and my wonderful friend, clinical psychologist, Professor Tanya Byron, look at the challenges people are facing with their families. Tanya talks to people in special one-to-one sessions while I'm listening in from the studio next door. In the break, I asked Tanya why she went down certain routes with her questions. This time we meet Karen. She's 39, she works full-time as a PA, she's married and has twin two-year-old daughters. Karen and her husband are separated. He left the country when their daughters were very small. And since then, their relationship has sometimes been strained. Karen wants to ensure that her daughters have a well-balanced upbringing without him. It becomes clear to Karen that she really misses her husband and feels regret that he's not there. And so the conversation becomes less about parenting and more about couples' conflict resolution. Do you think that there's a chance that you and he could raise the girls together or do you, are you very clear that you know this is how it is that you'll be raising the girls on your own and he'll be living in another country we could we could um, never say never but he would have to talk to me first what you are about to hear are the key parts of a one-time unscripted session with a real person we follow up with our guests after the recording passing on useful links and contacts some of which you will find in the program notes of this episode Let's go and meet Karen. Hi, Karen, how are you? I'm good. I wasn't lying down. No, I don't you listen, you come in here and have a nap if you need it. You have got young children. Thank you so much for coming in. Why are you here? I have um, a lot of anxiety about how to be a good mum. Okay. How old are they? They're going to be two in a couple of weeks. So cute. Two little girls. Yeah. And how was the pregnancy? How were they when they were little twins? It must be very hard. Um, Pregnancy was tough. I mean, I've got quite a little body. Yeah, you do. (laughs) And uh, I've enjoyed becoming a mum. And I think that being a mum made me realise what it is to be alive and to and that's what a gift it is and were you always desperate to be a mum no Uh, no I didn't want to have children did you not not until I met my husband I think that's why I left it quite late how old were you when you met your husband um met him when I was 27 so how long were you with him before the babies came six years six years and so you're madly in love with this lovely boy and did he want children did he persuade you what was the relationship like we did want children. He's not around anymore. Okay. Um, 
or I thought he wanted children. I don't know, maybe he didn't. Maybe that's where the position we're in now. Um, it's very different when they're here. It changes a lot, the dynamic of the relationship. And I think um, looking back, maybe maybe I wanted them and he didn't. And I, maybe, maybe I forced him into it and he wasn't ready. What's happened to him, if I'm allowed to ask? Oh, he's gone back to France. Okay. Yeah. So he's from France. Yeah. You met, you fell in love in this country. In Paris. In Paris. I moved to Paris to be with him. And uh, I lived in Paris for three years and then I moved around a bit and came back home. And we planned to get pregnant and we've lived apart a lot, so it wasn't a big thing. We had sex on certain days. I was very regimented about that. Yeah. Very <laughs> romantic. Yes, I remember it was, doing it was, that. Yeah, it's very now. romantic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were happy. But then I found that through my pregnancy, he didn't seem as excited as I wanted him to be. And I think I wanted to be glorified a bit, like... Yeah. Oh my God, we're doing this amazing thing. And look what my body's doing. Yeah. And he wasn't experiencing it with me. And there was a lot of arguments about whether I go back there or he come here. But I know that if I went there, I wouldn't have any support. And my family's quite big and we have twins in the family. So I knew that I would need the support. Yeah. And um, he eventually decided that he would come over. He did six weeks and he went away. He came back and did about three weeks and then he left for good. So he couldn't hack it or he got something that he didn't want? It sounds like he wanted it. You planned the pregnancy. I don't know if it wasn't the relief that he thought it would be or it wasn't as exciting as he thought it would be. It was hard work and I knew that, but I think it shocked him. I think maybe he was jealous of it or thought that he was no longer longer needed. I don't know because he's never told me. He's never told you. He's never told me what it is. Do you still love him? Do you know him? what? I can tell you oh, still love God. him. You're mad for him. Do you reckon? Yeah. You went I, all a bit funny. I feel sorry that he's missed out oh. on this experience because he won't have it again. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. sorry. I knew I'd cry. No, darling. <laughs> I don't want you to be sad. It- oh, I'm not sad. And I don't blame him either because... This is therapy talking now. We're all just human and we can't all react the same way. What worries me most about being a mum is that I don't pass on any bad baggage and any negativity onto my kids because of how I felt about my husband and that they get everything they need. You're not angry with him? I've been angry and I've said horrible things, but got to get on with it, haven't you? So he's now in Paris. Yeah. So what's he doing now? I don't actually know because he he's not talking to me. He's not talking to you, even though he left. Yeah. So how do you communicate with him? I send videos of the girls and pictures of the girls. He doesn't. Do you know anyone in his family? I do. I was talking to a friend about that today, actually. Whether I'm going to contact anyone because I'm worried now. So you've come today to find out how not to pass on any baggage to these beautiful girls. Yeah. Okay. I'm so sorry for what you've been through. I'm not sorry. Okay. Well, you're clearly amazing. You are. (laughs) I'm going to make a song and at the end we're going to go to Paris and find him and uh, I'm going to send the professor in. Thank you so much for coming and then I'll talk to you at the end. Is that all right? Yeah. 
Hello. Hello, my love. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Pleasure. So, gosh, I was just listening to you talking to Claude and um, I can see Claude was like, oh, I'm really sorry you've been through this, but you seem to be quite accepting. You're like, it is what it is. It is, but I don't... Well, I thought fake it till you make it, and so I don't know how much of what I say I believe yeah. always is really real for me, but um, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Tell me about your daughters. They are amazing um, little girls. You know, you're stringing sentences together. And I, just yesterday I put Mimi in the car, and then Monica said, I'm tired, and Mimi said, I'm tired too. It's like, you know two, you know two. <laughs> but they sounded like two middle-aged women just yeah. going, you know what, we're done for the day, let's go have yeah, a cup of tea. it's just all very impressive. <laughs> I wish people could see what I'm seeing, just the way your face has changed, the <laughs> smile on your face. I mean, they light you up from inside, don't they? They're the best thing ever. Because you don't know what it's going to be like, do you, having children? It's amazing. And that's another reason why I'm not as angry with their dad because he didn't get to do that um so I I understand if he didn't bond straight away because they they were inside me and they're mine and maybe I, I think maybe I I made them mine before they were born and maybe that was something I did wrong maybe I pushed him away I don't know I think my mum would say I pushed him away you said earlier to Claudia you said I wanted to be glorified and you didn't glorify me. Yeah, I wanted to be worshipped. I wanted to be like, this is my wife and she's pregnant with twins. And, you know, just not for the whole time, but just sometimes. Did he feel quite detached from it all? Yeah. And do you think it was because he was shocked, disbelieving, afraid? Um, I think fear. And uh, I don't think he was shocked because we planned it all. Do you think that there's a chance that you and he could raise the girls together? Or do you, are you very clear that, you know, this is how it is, that you'll be raising the girls on your own and he'll be living in another country? We could. We could. Um, so never say never. But he would have to talk to me first. And uh, he's not spoken to me for a long time. And why do you think that is? Did something happen? or I don't know why he thinks he can be so angry with me. You are a communicator. You're incredibly open. You're talking openly with me. You've been having therapy. You know, you want to try and improve things. But it's impossible, isn't it, when the people that you need to have those conversations with are unwilling or perhaps even to some degree unable to have those conversations. I could text him or I know I could make a call, but I don't. Part of me doesn't want to share them with him because they're so amazing. I don't think he deserves them. Because you're angry that he got scared and bolted. Yeah. But equally, you're wondering whether perhaps partly that happened because once they came along, he was sort of pushed to the side. Yeah. So it's quite complicated, isn't it? I mean, I want them to have their dad. I mean, he was so amazing to me. I just don't understand how... How can you be so disconnected Yeah, that you don't want to make the effort to see them at least once a month? And that makes me angry. Understandable. I wonder if he's angry as well. I think he's obviously angry with me. When we are together, it's so awkward. Um, he doesn't want to talk. 
have you sent him a message to say, I don't want to be angry anymore. Is there a way we can try and find a way to talk? No, I haven't. Like every time he comes to the UK, it's like we have the same conversations. And what are they? That I pushed him away, that I don't let him be a dad to them. Right. You said your mum might have noticed something because yeah, she said she that. she says that I'm a bit overpowering. Well, I'm protective. So if he wasn't doing something correctly, I would say so. But I never, you know, stopped him from helping. I wanted help. When you have children and you get home from the hospital, it's the biggest shock because you're suddenly alone with these two little things and what do I do with them? And it was nighttime, so we went to bed. But he spent two nights in that room with me and I'd had an emergency C-section and I struggled to get in and out of bed. And then he went into another room and that was it. That was all he's done. And on the second night, he was crying that he was so tired and it was so hard. And he never made me so much as a slice of toast. And I was so dehydrated and malnourished. My milk dried up in days. And so the girls were bottle fed. I did start doing everything for the girls by myself and not asking him to do anything. Because when I asked, he did it the way he wanted to do it or in his own time. Even things like what I thought would be helpful, like he would hold the baby away from his body in one arm and I'd say, oh, hold her properly, hold her to you. You know, I said, I said, you know, about taking your clothes off and having skin-to-skin contact. Mm. And he would know that this is correct. And I was like, it's not correct. It's not about being correct. It's about bonding with your child. And that was another huge argument. So he felt overwhelmed, anxious, exhausted, and yeah. also felt that the way he did things wasn't right. Yeah. And I've probably made it worse. But I think also you felt unsupported. And I hear that. You were unsupported. So you were both completely floundering. You were both exhausted. It was such a change that I think it just spun you both out in a way that you were unable to support each other. You could see he was struggling to engage with the idea of being a father. And when he tried, you would sort of give him feedback on what he wasn't doing correctly. Yeah. And he could see that you were exhausted and in pain and and he didn't seem able to engage to help you. It didn't unite you, it, it kind of split you. Yeah. But it doesn't mean to say that he can't be involved in the girl's life in some way. It just means that somehow you and he have to get past the anger and the resentment. Most and, definitely. And see if you can try and work out a different kind of relationship. I don't think I should have to do that or set it up. So you're waiting for him to come to you? Yeah. I understand that. Maybe his feeling is, well... What's the point? Whatever I do isn't good enough. Yep. You know... Whatever he does is wrong. Yeah, so... I still feel that way. You still feel that way about him. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because how can you invite someone in who you feel has done so much that's not good enough? 
last time he was here and I was in the kitchen and I could hear one of the girls shouting about a potty. So I went in and said, put her on a potty. She, she needs to go. Oh, I didn't know that's what she was saying. So, well, I guess he wouldn't, would he? Because he's not been around yeah. there. So I know I should be more patient. It's just those little things like that just make me so aware of what he's missed. And that, again, makes me angry. Of course. And then it goes round and round in circles. I understand that. You explain it really well. I get it. But if we go back to your original kind of question in a way, which Mm. is how can I not let baggage impact on my daughters? Would it be fair to say that until you have resolved some of how you're feeling towards their father, there is going to be baggage for them when they get older? Yes. Do you think? Yeah, most definitely. What do you think? And this is this is a question because I'm I'm curious as well really. Mm. You can help me with this. What do you think you need to help you get past this sense of being profoundly let down? I think what I would really like is if he heard me and he understood because when I said before that we have the same arguments again and again and again, he'll always say yes, he understands but then we'd have the same argument. What then triggers the same argument again? Usually comes from him not being helpful. So you might then get annoyed with him, like with the potty thing. Yeah. I absolutely am with you on that frustration. But I'm thinking the pro- possibly the reason he doesn't do it is because he is used to y- you letting him know that what he does isn't right. Yeah. So he doesn't want to mess it up. And also, he hasn't been around the girls much, so he needs to learn. He needs to he needs to understand what it is to be a father. He does. So maybe your expectations, which are understandable, might be a little bit too, too high, high if you think that having a conversation where he will listen and say, I hear you, I understand, that the progress you would make in that conversation would then be undermined the next time you kind of go in like, well, what are you doing? Why haven't you done that? Yeah, yeah I, I get that. Totally. I'm not blaming you, sweetheart, no, no, because you have done an incredible job as a single mother of twin girls working full time. I'm thinking, though, that you and he have just been so caught up in this sort of dance that you're both doing which is just repeating itself. And it's maybe what we could do today is think about how I can help you be part of changing that repetitive cycle. Mm -hmm. Conflict resolution only really ever works when both sides move away from the position of you need to understand my issue and move into a position of let me understand your issue so that there is a sense of reciprocity, that Mm. reciprocally I'm understanding why you're upset with me, but you're also understanding why I struggled as well. Okay. Do you see what I mean? Yeah.
So, Tan, can I just ask this? And I hope it doesn't sound stupid. Conflict resolution. What is that? Is that because people always have the same argument? Yeah, it's used when peace treaties are yeah. written. I mean, it's something that isn't just used in couple relationships. It's used in international diplomacy and 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 so on. And it's about trying to find a different way of thinking about the situation that has become so entrenched and stuck because all people can see is what they're angry about. Anger is no way going to help resolve a tricky situation. So if we can agree that we will disagree, but we can try and think about a way to move through those disagreements to find some kind of unity, then we've got a better way forward in terms of our relationship. Okay, thanks, Tan. Let's go back to the session. You're an incredible woman, how you've you've got yourself and the girls this far. But maybe within all of that, he himself was lost. And because you had no bandwidth, you were so exhausted and overwhelmed, it was impossible for you, understandably, to see that. You just felt annoyed with him. And the more you got annoyed with him, the less he felt he could offer. So ultimately he left. I wonder if he knew that you could see that for him, things might start to shift a little bit. Yeah. Why do we have to have the same conversations again and again and again? Because you get into that same circular argument, which is you telling him that he's not good enough because he's yet again not responded the way I want him to. Which, based on what you've told me, is fair enough. You know, if he's crying on day two because he's exhausted and can't sleep, you're kind of thinking, come on, mate. But I think if you want it to shift, you and he would need to start again with you recognising that at the moment he kind of doesn't know what he's doing. Does it sound plausible? Does it sound helpful? Yeah. I think there's a long game you can play here. I think there's a different strategy here. And I think you can do it, but I think we have to work out how you do it. I had an experience once with somebody who wanted to, um, like, role play, uh-huh. like, um, like with relative stuff. No. Yes. No. That's a and hard I couldn't. Pass. And I said, I said, um, they no. wanted. They first said, da- like, dad, daddy, oh, and, and I said, um, well, that's not so bad. But um, so I suggested maybe, like, I said maybe the most I could do is uncle. <laughs> Okay, so that was just a snippet of an episode with actor and podcaster Justin Long. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to the full episode on my podcast, Dinner's On Me. Over a meal at Pine and Crane in downtown LA, we get into his love story with Kate Bosworth, his career, and so much more. To listen, just search Dinner's On Me wherever you listen to podcasts. You and he might think maybe we could make this work. It may mean that you and he recognise that it's not going to work with you as a couple, but it is going to work with you as co-parents. How do you feel about that? Part of me is also a bit weary, Mm -hmm. but 
he will get love and attention that he doesn't deserve. I understand that, sweetheart. I absolutely get that. Um, and I know it's not for me to jump in and try and change things. I want them to love their dad, but I don't want them to love him more than me. Is that awful? Of course it's not awful, because you felt let down by your partner. And there's a part of you that thinks, you don't even deserve to see these girls because you did nothing. But what you can do is place that in a different space to the space that you need to inhabit to think about how you can create and facilitate a relationship between your girls and their father. Mm. And if you try and facilitate it and it doesn't work, then that's on him. And you'll always be able to say to your girls, show them emails, messages, you'll say, I just want you to know I tried. Yeah. They've already noticed that they don't have a daddy. What what should I say? Why don't we think about that then for the next part of our conversation? Should we have a bit of a break? Yeah. can say about Karen's story is the amount of conversations I've had with girlfriends I mean who will be listening to this going yeah he held the baby wrong or he did this wrong I mean I just spent the first four months going what are you doing why are you holding the blanket on the left side and not the right or whatever it was you end up having the same argument and new babies put two especially enormous pressure on a relationship absolutely there you are as a new mum having an issue with where the blanket is. That comes from you being tired, you trying to work out how to be a mother. And then we go and we change the camera angle to look at the new partner who is standing there also not knowing what on earth they're doing and trying to get their head around it and also extremely sleep deprived and then just being told that what they're doing is wrong. That's probably not going to cause... Um, a couple to unite to try and solve all these different problems and challenges that come with parenthood together. They're not going to be able to do it. It will ring so many bells. And I know there is often advice, which is you've just got to do it as a team. But it's it's hard to do it as a team, especially when you think your way is the best way. I'm speaking, of course, personally. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love you, because you are... If nothing else, you're honest. But look, I mean, nothing splits a couple more than children. Nothing. We have to agree that we're not always going to agree, but we also have to agree that if we fundamentally disagree, it's not really going to help our kids. So prepare to be sick. Is it about kindness then? Is it about both parties being the bigger person and giving the other one the benefit of the doubt? It doesn't make me feel sick. I think that's right. And I think also it's about understanding that shifting your focus from your own position, shifting that position doesn't mean you're giving in. Why do we have to always win? I don't even understand that as a concept. This isn't about winning. This is about trying to find your way through in the best way possible to raise the most healthy, well-adjusted children you can. Well said. I remember a phrase, my son wouldn't do something and I was just like, I'm so frustrated. He will never wear wellies or whatever it was. And you went, Claude, 
pick your battles. Do you have to do that with grown-ups as well? Think about the relationships we have with friends. We tend to have more boundaries in relationships with friends and we tend to pick our battles. We tend not to argue so much with friends. We tend to think, oh, well, you know, she's a bit like that or, oh, well, she's had a bad day or whatever. But when we're in the kind of intimacy of our own home and we're in our relationship, the gloves come off and suddenly we can start to descend into something that feels quite childlike and sort of not very thoughtful. But is it putting them in any harm? Are they distressed? Nope. Do they seem happy? Yes. So where's the battle to fight? Okay, I'm going to go and get her. So it's something about your relationship wasn't able to transition into being a couple with children. You could be a couple without children, but being a couple with children didn't feel possible. So why do you think it wasn't possible for you to find your way together? Well, he said that leaving Paris for him would make him very uncomfortable. I just thought that when the girls came, I would need more help than I would be able to have over there on my own. Mm. Part of me understands his fear... I also thought that he would, when the girls would come, we would both evolve. How did you try? What well, did just you... like making sure he was in the country for the scans. I wanted him to come to classes with me, but he didn't want to come until the girls were ready to be born. He seemed lacklustre about those things. And why do you think that was? Do you think he was afraid? Do you think he hadn't really engaged with the idea of being a parent in the way that you had? He never gave me any clues as to why um, he acted the way he did. I didn't get it. And I think that's why it's also easy to be angry because I don't know what else was stopping him. Sure, and that's really honest of you, but that's why relationships generally fall apart because people choose anger over understanding. And then once you're locked into anger, nothing really ever changes, does it? No. You did your pregnancy here in the UK, but he remained in Paris. Yeah. So even before the girls were born, you and he began to be quite disconnected. In the way that you became a mother through your pregnancy, it's a process, isn't it? You know, you sort of bond as you're pregnant and you begin to get your idea around being a mother and he didn't have any of that. He didn't have the lying in bed at night and talking to the bump and all those sorts of things that partners can be involved in. He, Mm. he, He had none of that. He sort of arrived when these two babies turned up and then everything was just mayhem. Yeah. So he'd had no kind of run into it. No, not really. Right. So it's kind of not surprising that he probably just thought, what the hell? Yeah, but again, I blame him for that because I told him to be here. Initially, I was going to go back to Paris, but that's before I knew we had twins. What is it you think he needs to hear from you that will enable him to feel heard? He says he's hurting and I believe him because he's crying He's not the type to cry. I know he's hurting, but as I've said to him so many times, what is it that's upsetting you? 
and he can't answer. But what do you think it is? I think he, I think he loves me, and mm. I think he wants. To, I think he wants to love his girls. I think he doesn't feel about them the way I feel, and I think he feels bad about it. And why do you think he doesn't feel about them what you feel? I know what he's like when he's in love. And I know how he acted with me. And I know how warm he is and such an amazing person. But he doesn't do that to the girls. He doesn't show that to the girls. I think he doesn't love them the way he thinks he should. And I think that hurts him. Do you think he's had a chance to fall in love with them? No. So it's not that he couldn't love them and be this wonderful, warm man that you've just described to me and it's made you cry because you know who he is, don't you? Well, I thought I did. But maybe the problem was once you and he started to separate in the pregnancy, your connection with these two beautiful girls, you kind of raced ahead and he's starting the process possibly at the most difficult time yeah and it probably freaked him out I wonder I'm not defending him by the way because I know you were left literally carrying the babies I know that but I'm trying to think about it from his position because I reckon if he feels understood you and he have a better chance of rebuilding a relationship that enables the girls to have a mum and a dad in their lives in whatever form that will take. Yeah. How can you facilitate a process to enable him to fall in love with his daughters? What do you think could be the way that that could happen? I know what I want to happen. Logically. But I know how I feel. I'm still angry and resentful. And um, you can't just stop those feelings. But you could maybe challenge them if you started to look at this a different way. Yeah. You know, when we talk about um, issues that can occur after a baby's born, obviously one of them is postnatal depression or postnatal illness. Mm. It can affect men too. People find this really very, very difficult to get their heads around. How can it affect a man? Well, they didn't give birth. There's no hormonal issues. But there are men who, for the first time in their life, will experience mental health difficulties following the birth of their child. And I wonder whether, for him, it's almost like he was the one that had the postnatal depression and couldn't bond with the babies and just fled he just couldn't deal with it what do you think about that as a concept oh, definitely yeah he told me he was depressed um i also told him but i'm having therapy and i said have you got anyone you can speak to i said even if it's a friend and he said no one knows that i'm back in paris i said what do you mean no one knows you've got to go back to work and that's when i found out that he wasn't going back to work and that um, he'd hidden in his house. So he is actually, what you're telling yeah. me now, is he has become depressed since, since this all has happened. Yeah. So that helps us understand 
his behaviour in another way as well, mm. that this has come from a place of depression and helplessness, not a place of selfish indifference. I think he was selfish before. Two years after I moved to Paris, I got pregnant. I'd already called my mum and my sister, really excited. He said he didn't want it, that I could go home and have it by myself or I could stay with him and have an abortion. And I ended up having the abortion. And I was really depressed after that. But he was really cold about it. We thought I was quite pathetic. So I have seen that. I've seen it before. And have you ever forgiven him for that? I did forgive him and I forgave myself. I feel like I made a mistake and that I should have just come home and, and had the baby. Um, Which is what you did this time round. Yeah, but he promised me. We made a promise that we would never make a mistake like that again and that the next time would be the right time and that we would do it properly. So that's another reason why I feel let down. That he didn't deliver on his promise. Yeah. Do you think if you'd stayed in Paris, it would have been different when you were pregnant? I think if we'd stayed in Paris, he would have been better off mentally and I wouldn't. So the reality is probably moving forward that the girls will have their father in Paris and their mother in the UK and that's the best outcome for them in terms of how things move forward in everybody's lives? Um, I could move to Paris, I could do it. Um, I've kept up my French lessons, you know, I've made sure that the girls have access to a French nanny. I mean, I've always thought at some point they will be there, but if, if he doesn't sort himself out um, and get himself a good job because he will have to look after us. I won't be able to earn as well there. Um, then that's not going to happen. But we still got to get past this idea that you're conflicted. Do you want to have them for yourself or are you prepared to do whatever it takes to see if you and he could raise them together in some way, whatever way that ends up being? Yeah. Like I said before, it's on me to fix it and I find that unfair. I know I've got to do what's right. Gets Hen on my nerves a bit. Hence your ambivalence about whether to engage or not engage. Yeah. But I do agree with you. It's not your responsibility. He needs to recover from this depression that he possibly finds himself in. But is there a way that the process could start by just simply having a different kind of conversation? I think so. How do you think that conversation could look? <laughs> the first word that came to mind was me grovelling. I think I do need to let him know that he's valued, that he has value and that um, his thoughts and feelings are important and that we need to do this together doesn't sound like grovelling, that sounds like kindness. That sounds like compassion. 
it's interesting because what you're saying is what people often say when you do this kind of conflict resolution work, which is, but hold on a second, Tanya, you're telling me that I need to sit there with all my hurt and pain and I need to forget about that and I need to look across the room and show compassion to the person who I feel let me down. Well, that feels like they've won, I'm giving in, I'm groveling. I would say, I don't think it's being submissive or groveling. I think it's being smart and compassionate. Because the reality is, you're at this moment probably the stronger one, the one who possibly can change the conversation. The point is you show a different approach which enables him to also then engage in a different way. And what I've seen many times in in the work I do is when one person shifts their perception and says, actually, I want to think about how this has felt for you, you can feel the tension and the anger just leave the room. And what that generally leads to, if it works, is I'm sorry I let you down. And it's really interesting looking at you now because you're really listening, aren't you? I can see you like thinking, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. What, yeah, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that I can do it. I know I can do it. How, I mean, once I've done that, how do I not then bring up something that, that hurt me? in the past because I think it's really important that you don't keep going back I agree with you sweetheart well you you keep going back because you don't feel heard either I get it but it you have a better chance of that being acknowledged when he feels he is understood in a way that doesn't make him feel like he's totally failed because my sense is he must feel like, particularly now he's lost his job, he must feel like he has failed at everything. Mm. Still not convinced. No, I am. I'm just thinking how would he respond? Would he answer the phone? Could you write to him? Yeah. I think what's really nice about a letter is that you can really reflect and redraft So you don't send it in a moment of high emotion, but you've really thought about it. And he has time to read it and then read it again and then read it again. It just kind of slows the conversation down so there's no misunderstanding. Yeah. So see if you can just give me your opening couple of sentences. Oh. Dear hubby. (laughs) Um, I hope this letter brightens your day Um, I've always liked receiving things in the post I want you to know that you're loved and that it's time for us to come together and reconcile our differences because we have two amazing little girls who need their daddy. What can you see in my eyes? 
I don't often get tears in my eyes. I cry all the time. <laughs> I don't. Not in my job. But you've just brought tears to my eyes. So that's your opening. You're saying we're going to reconcile for our girls. Yeah. And that's beautiful. What's the next bit? Because you've, you've stated your position in the most beautiful, compassionate way. What's your next statement you want to make to him? Because this is where you're now shifting the narrative. You're shifting the way the conversation has gone previously. I'd like to know what he would like, ideally, in an ideal world, what would he like to do if there was nothing in our way? What would he want to do? Um, and then maybe we can put some steps in place to make that happen. Lovely. So now you're giving him choice. You're saying, I want to be there. I want us to try and reconcile our differences. But I'm not going to take charge on this. Brilliant. The next bit of the letter would then be you telling him that you understand that he is in pain. How would you do that? How could you express that to him? The last few times that we've been together, you've been in tears and you've never been able to say what that is or what it is you need. I just want you to know that I understand that I have a part to play in us going wrong. Tell him what you think he might have experienced. I understand that I might have made you feel unneeded and unwanted. And that was never my intention, because I do need I do need you. You're missing out. You're missing out on so much joy that you can't imagine. So it's time to do something about it. You are a remarkable woman. I'll be remarkable when I write the letter. <laughs> that came very naturally. I didn't hear anger. I didn't hear blame. I didn't hear recrimination. I heard love. I heard you talking to the man that you have been for many years in love with, who you know is lost. And I heard a letter saying to him, I want to help you find a way back to us. We're done. You've done it. You've moved somewhere else that I do believe could enable you to start a better chapter for you and the girls and for him. Hi. Are you alright? Oh, baby. I'm a hot shitting mess. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, you were so brilliant to come today. Do you feel alright? Yeah, I feel great, actually. We came in here, I got a bit about him, and then, of course, the brilliant Professor Tony Bright, like, goes, hold on a minute, maybe this boy's in pain. And I was listening at the door going, what? I did not see this coming. And I think he'll be totally taken aback, won't he? Yeah, I, I think he will. Do you feel good? Yeah, I do. You look really good. 
I mean, you look good before, but you look quite <laughs> powerful. I, I can't wait to go and write my letter. I, I just want to get it sorted. Thank you so much. Thank you. Go and cuddle those little puffins from us. They sound amazing. And good luck with him. Thank you. Before the break, you said, I just, I think you said, I want a shift in her perception. And it was, it was sort of a 180. Mm. Because she came in here, but she was angry with him. I was angry with him. And then you mentioned something that we never talk about, which is some men have some mental health difficulties after having a child, a sort of male postnatal depression, if you like. If you look at the research around this, it's estimated between 8 and 10% of new fathers will be diagnosed with what's called male postpartum depression. And these can be people who might have had previous periods of depression in their life. And these could be people who might never have struggled with depression in their life. And it's complex and there are often many factors involved and everybody's different. But it isn't often spoken about Mm. because the focus, quite understandably, is on the mum. And the new father can also be struggling with a transition into this new role in his life. And that struggle for some men can cause them to become clinically depressed. And I think if we listen to Karen's story, you know, her husband wasn't with her during the pregnancy. He didn't have that time to prepare. He couldn't cope. And of course, he couldn't cope and she had to cope. And you can understand why she then resented him for that. And then that's where the cycle begins. The letter was extraordinary. I sort of want to watch him read it, which I know is illegal and not fair but why is it illegal I mean I can't sneak into his house I don't know where he lives and I can't possibly get the Eurostar I've got to put my kids to bed but that's a whole nother story but the (laughs) point is it's such a shift it's not just I want you to hear me uh I felt sad um our daughter wanted to use the potty you didn't get it for her in time or uh, but now I will hear yours it's not that sort of measured thing that we're always told if you watch shows about therapy or if you read a story you go oh yes you both need to say your piece and it's not that it's just I think I was hard on you and you are loved Mm. and it was so open and so warm and you know he's been tearful and I don't know I feel very hopeful. She was recognising that he has felt really marginalised and sidelined And, you know, people would say, yeah, well, you know, he put himself in that position and then we get back into judgment and blame. And and I kind of think everybody knows what the story is, so we don't have to keep telling the same story. You know, at some point we've got to move on. It felt to me like she was opening her arms and saying, come back, welcome back. We need you. Yeah. Yeah. And that I found extraordinary. For me, you know, you're standing at the bottom of a mountain and you're looking at the peak and you're thinking, I will never climb that. It's Mm. impossible. Mm. Forget it. I think all I did is I took her hand and I walked around to another side of the mountain where actually it was a bit clearer. There was a bit more sun on that side of the mountain. She could see the terrain. 
she wasn't just looking at the peak. She was thinking, okay, maybe I could just make the first stage of the mountain. And that's kind of what therapy is. It's about breaking something down and thinking, okay, how can I look at this differently? How can I change my view? And by changing my view, if I see things more clearly, how can that clarity of vision enable me to take the next step on the journey to healing? Basically, you gave her crampons. Do you think? Yeah. You, yeah, you gave, her the, you gave her the equipment. She's off. I think she had those crampons. I think I just gave her a nudge yeah. to put them on. Yeah, maybe a head torch. I'll stop using. I'll, I'll, I literally have never been outside. Me talking have about... Have you ever climbed a mountain, Claude? I haven't gone up a hill, babe. Okay, so... Maybe you need to start with the uh, with the metaphors. Yeah, can't spell metaphor. Thank you. And a reminder, if you haven't already, please click on the subscribe button and you'll receive free episodes literally the minute they're ready. And please do spread the word and comment. We would love to hear what you think. And if you're interested in taking part in future episodes of How Did We Get Here, please email parenting at somethingelse.com. That's parenting at something, without a G, else.com. Next time we meet Emma. Do you seek validation from others by putting yourself out there really massively to try and keep everything happy? And then when somebody changes that dynamic, you feel really hurt because there is that part of you that just wants to keep things nice? Yeah, absolutely. I really do. So the reaction of others can have a real impact on you? Yes. Oh, totally. This podcast was possible with the help of the following people at Something Else. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer is Hannah Talbot. The producer is Selena Ream. And the executive producer is Chris Skinner, with additional production from Steve Ackerman. Also from something else. Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Join Katie for a series of powerful and inspirational conversations with people who have triumphed over adversity. With guests including Fern Cotton. And what about when you get really lazy journalism? So like people that draw just one line, they take it out of context. And that's really sad because... It is, it is. And I've also been on the receiving end of it so, Mm. so many times. Sometimes to really tragic levels for me where I've really not felt able to cope with it. Yeah. Zoe Sugg and Nadia Hussein. I think the the thing with women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always like to see other women succeed. Mm -hmm. I I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of that and I think that's why just it's really hard sometimes because in the last four years I've changed so much. Mm. Listen now in Apple Podcasts. Spotify and all good podcast apps.